We are continuing in our series. We are looking at some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. These are things that he prayed over people and over churches. And what we're doing is, is we're diving into these texts. We're saying, okay, the possible, what, what was his prayer for this group of people? What was his prayer for this church? And then how, how do we take that and pray that along with him and with them? And today's prayer that you just heard, it's from the book of 2 Timothy, and it's Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. This is someone that he dearly loves. We're going to dive in in just a second and see how deeply he really did love him. But as we're doing this, one of the things that I pray for us as a church is that as we look at these prayers, it wouldn't just be something that's found in Scripture. It would be something that we would take and say, no, I want that for my life. God, I, I want to be that type of person. I, I want to pray that and believe that over my life and over our church. And so let's, let's collectively do that this morning as we go to the Father in prayer. God, we come before you. And Lord, as we open up your word today, which is living, it's powerful, it's true, it's mighty, and it's strong, we ask, God, that you would use it to shape and mold our heart. God, we ask that through it, our lives would truly be changed and our stories would be altered as we encounter you. Father, as we look at this prayer that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, God, we want to take it also as our own. I pray that we would we would look into your word and that we would allow our lives to be changed and challenged. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Before you grab a seat, if you will turn to someone next to you and discuss with them, what is the best advice you've ever been given? Bonus points if it's funny. Best advice you've ever been given, bonus points if it's funny. Three, two, one, go. The worst advice I've ever been given was always eat your vegetables. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Parents of the room, that's an important thing to do. Um, it, it's interesting. Th this section from 2 Timothy, it's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to Timothy. And, and I want you to think with me just briefly. Um, if you knew that your life was coming to an end, and you had the opportunity to give your last words to someone, what would those last words be? What would you choose to say? You know, we need to understand the timing and the context of this letter and who he's writing to. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he, and he realizes these very well could be his last words. In fact, most theologians believe the book of 2 Timothy is Paul's last book. His life is coming to an end. He knows he's about to be murdered for the faith. And he's writing to someone who's not a nobody to him. He's writing to Timothy, who he loves deeply. And so he's giving Timothy kind of like his last will and testament. He's, he's giving him the, these last words where he's challenging them and speaking them. And we can go to the next slide where it's saying last words. And one of the things I want you to see here is that Paul is saying, I, I love you, I care about you, and I want to challenge you. Who or what would you give your last words to? What would you say? I, I, I think of a few things. If I really knew that my life was coming to an end soon, I would pick, number one, carefully what I said. There would be a lot of, especially if I was writing it in a letter, I wasn't just speaking to, to them. If I, if I was going to write this person a letter and tell them something, number one, they would be someone that I deeply loved and cared about. And then my words would be chosen very carefully but they would also be mixed with encouragement and a challenge. 
It'd be a mixture of encouragement and challenge. I, I, want, I want them to know how deeply I love them, but I also want to see them continue to be the person that I've been praying for them to be for so long. I think of my kids. They'd be one of the people who would get my last words. I'd be looking into their life and I'd be speaking into their heart and I'd say, I want you to know I see this in you. I want you to know that I see God doing this in you and, and I want you to continue in that. That is what Paul is doing in this moment because Timothy is his dear son. Timothy, my dear son. Notice that's what he writes to. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised. He says, I'm writing to Timothy my dear son. Timothy is a son in the faith. He's dearly loved. Paul says these words, you're dearly loved. I thank God for you. I remember you in prayer often. I pray for you night and day constantly. I long to see you again. I remember our tear-filled departure the last time we saw each other. This is someone that Paul cares deeply about. This is someone that's near and dear his heart. And so he's handing this letter off to him saying, I love you greatly. You see, Paul's greatest gift from God was people. I think we've forgotten that sometimes in our day and our time in our society. Some of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us or ever will give us is the people in our lives. There's people that can help pull us along in life. How many of you know that you've, most of us have that friend that like, if you sit with them somewhere serious, you probably need to be on the other side of the room. You know what I'm talking about? There's that friend, like, you cannot be <laughs> trusted to sit near them in a very serious moment. And then there's those other friends that, like, if you're around them, you are more prone to do something stupid. <laughs> right? You're like, uh, we probably should be. Right? There's, but then there's that other friend that, like, when you've had your worst day of your life, they're on speed dial. You're calling up because you know that they're going to encourage you, they're going to speak life into you, that they're going to be there for you. Paul was that to Timothy. Paul was Timothy's mentor. It's the person that whenever ministry got tough and life got tough, he knew he could rely on the Apostle Paul, and Paul would speak into his life. But Timothy's faith was not something that was just his own. It was something that had been passed down to him. I want you to read this with me. Verse 5, it says this, I remember, Paul writes, your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. You see, the things that we value and some of the most important things in our life, in fact, the most for, for many of you, the very core of who you are, a lot of it's been passed down to you. Some of you, you look like a spitting image like your mom or dad. <laughs> some of you, you inherited your parents, um, some of their personality, whether for good or for bad, right? <laughs> You're like, there's some good parts and then there's some bad, right? Like th there's things that get passed down to us. Maybe it's looks, maybe it's personality, maybe it's mannerisms, maybe it's an attitude. Um, clothes get passed down, inheritance get passed down, values get passed down, customs get passed down. When you think about like even a living will, it's someone who's intentionally saying there's things that I have that I want to pass down 
to someone else. I, I think of it from this perspective. Um, there's things that you maybe are into because of someone key that's in your life. There, for, for instance, for my life, one of the things that I do is I collect pins. And I collect pins because my dad collected pins. I remember as a kid, like, going into his room and seeing, like, a different pin collection and wanting to, like, sneak one and, like, go over and just draw things with it. <laughs> but it was something that um, he was in insurance, so he, he every day was always using pins, and so it was a collection that he had. And uh, a few years ago, um, as he was meeting with, like, me and my brother, one of the things that he did is he gave me a pin that he has had for many, many years. This is a special pen. It's a pen that he wrote and worked with for many, many times. We'd go to restaurants, and you know when you're bored because, like, the wait is, like, forever for your food to come out? I cannot tell you how many restaurants I've sat in, and with this very pen, I've drawn things, and I've done things. And, and it's something that has now been passed down to me. It's, it's, to anybody else, they would walk up to this, and they go, oh, that, that's a pen. But to me, it's more than just a pen because of who it's come from and, and why he passed it down. Timothy's faith was passed on faithfully to him. We need to learn to pass on what's important. To pass on truth. To pass on the word of God. To pass on the character of Christ to those who either are our kids or those who we have influence over. I want to give you an example of this, of the good and the bad. Because we can pass on bad things, right? We can pass on attitudes. We can pass on generational um, issues. So in the 1700s, there's two men that lived, Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes. And there's a social worker who did a study from New York of two different individual households from the 1700s, both of which who lived in the exact same neighborhood. Max Jukes and Jonathan Edwards lived in the same neighborhood. And as they did this, they started looking at their lineage, what they passed on. This is what and how Max Jukes was described. He was described as a liar, a thief, and a drunk. And he had 1,026 descendants. First of all, that's a lot of descendants, right? Let me tell you a little bit about what was passed on to them. 300 died prematurely. 150 became known criminals. Over 100 averaged 13 years in federal prison. 17 were murderers, 60 were public prostitutes, and 310 died in absolute poverty. But Jonathan Edwards, who lived in the exact same neighborhood, it says that they were godly people who intentionally and purposely lived out their faith. They had three more descendants than Max Jukes. They had 1,029. 300 became pastors, 65 college professors, 13 university presidents, 60 authored books, 30 became judges, 295 became college grads, 3 became U.S. congressmen, 80 became public officials, 7 Navy officers, 60 physicians, 100 lawyers, and 1 United States vice president. Now that's a lineage, right? Like that's what I want for my kids. I want him to become a U.S. vice president and then nix me from paying taxes. Like, <laughs> I don't know how that works, but we can make it into law somehow, some way, right? But, but think about this. There's, there's power in your story as it's faithfully lived out. 
There's power when a lineage of faith gets handed on down. Today, I live in my, um, my Grandpa Lee's house. It's interesting. I, I get flashbacks sometimes whenever I'm driving back to uh, the house of visiting that exact same house when I was a kid. I'll be driving late at night as the, like, the rain's coming, and for whatever reason, it's almost like a flash of light reminds me of like being a kid again and going to the house that I live in now that was my grandpa's. I'm here today because of a lineage of faith that was passed down to me. My grandpa Lee, um, he was not a follower of Christ, and he went into uh, World War II, and he saw the worst that humanity had to offer. He fought in both the Pacific and the European theaters, and um, I remember him as a kid telling me distinctly a story about the day that he kind of came to Christ. He was, he was at a service uh, that the chaplain was leading, and he remembered sitting there, and he remembered like the, the pastor speaking, and he remembers the Holy Spirit tugging on his heart. And at the end, the pastor said, anybody who would like to accept Christ, come forward. And he's like, I was way too nervous, and I, and I, and I didn't want to do that. And he was there with his buddy, and he was there with his friend. And he remembers going back to their barracks that night, and they were sitting in their bunks, and they were both talking to each other. And his buddy leans over to him, and he's like, Dick, did you feel anything in that service tonight? And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, I so desperately wanted to go forward, but I was worried what other people were thinking. And the guy looked at him, and he goes, I felt the same way. He ends up serving out his time in the war, and he comes back, and he leads his whole family to coming back to church and dedicating their life to God and to changing like who they are to their core. My first sermon ever came <laughs> as a little toddler running back and forth on my grandpa's truck bed as we're driving to Hartford City to go fishing. And I'm in the front. You know how like the old trucks just had like the straight, like the whole front seat was just one seat. We're sitting there driving in and he'd be like, preach it, brother. <laughs> Right? And I'm this little kid. I have no clue what I'm saying, but I'm just like, yeah, and I'm doing like my little sermon. My grandpa's going, yeah, amen, brother. Right? My grandpa believed in me before I even remotely believed in myself. I remember, I remember those moments. I remember watching him live out his faith as, as he then passed that on to his children who are serving God. And to, there's generational legacy. I, I, I've received that. I remember on his deathbed. I remember being in the hospital as he was literally dying because of somebody else's mistake. And when the doctors and nurses came in and basically said, there's nothing we can do because of this medical mistake, he looked at him in the face and he said, I understand we all make mistakes. And that was it. The doctors watched a man live out his faith in front of them. They watched his family member after family member came to that room, prayed with him. I had the opportunity to read the book of Psalms over him as he was laying there in bed. I said, Grandpa, you want me to keep going? He goes, absolutely, Josh. At his funeral, afterwards, we went back to his house, and every single person from the family was able to take home a Bible that had been his. This is my Grandpa Lee's Bible. This was something that was handed down to me. I've inherited the, prayer, the prayers of my parents. You've heard me talk about, I remember as, as a kid, 
waking up at 4 a.m. to go do my paper routes. My mom's downstairs praying over my brother and me's life, and man, did we need it. <laughs> I pray that now over Calvin. I'm like, Lord, somehow protect him. <laughs> He's a wild one. <laughs> they prayed over me. They prayed over my future spouse. I remember my dad taking me to a Promise Keepers event and sitting there and worshiping alongside him at the, the mall in Washington, D.C., and, and having this spiritual legacy that was being handed off because it was faithfully lived out in front of me. Because it was faithfully passed on. You see, what Paul says to Timothy, he says, I see faith in you that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and that you've seen lived out even in me. To this point in the series, we've looked at in Ephesians chapter 3, we talked about how God's love has to be encountered. Man, that was a great service. As we encountered the love of God, which is higher, wider, deeper, and stronger than any of us could possibly imagine. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about that that love will refine us and it will produce in us the character of Christ. But today what we're seeing is that love that gets produced in us, it has to be sampled. It should be passed down. I want you to think about that word produced with me. Your life needs sampled. Your life needs to be tasted by those who are in your life. See, there's nothing more beautiful than when your life produces the life of Christ and it gets passed on, but there's nothing worse than if it's just religion. If it's just a checklist, if it's just a to-do list, if it's just the thing that we do because we're supposed to, listen, that will not generate life. That will not generate hope in the next generation. In fact, it will turn them completely off. What we need alive in us is the love of Jesus. Because if we live out that love, then the next generation has something to taste and to sample. The Bible talks about taste and see that the Lord is good. One of the first ways we taste and see that the Lord is good is we taste it in somebody else. We encounter someone who has so truly encountered the love of Jesus that as we, we bite and we sample their life, we're like, man, that's good. You ever had one of those where you get a, like, a bite of dessert and you're like, is there more? <laughs> you're like, I might eat the whole cake. It's that good. That's how the life of Christ should be. When people sample your life, the natural result should they should be like, I want some of that. I want some of that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, the kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And guess what? I can't produce that in my life. Only Christ can. As I'm in touch with the Spirit and as He's speaking and challenging me. You see, as a church, we talk often about different values that we see as someone who's following Christ. We talk about worshiping, learning, connecting, serving, giving, and reaching. It's on our windows if you look outside when you leave. Those things, though, they need to be seen heard, experienced, witnessed, and encountered by the next generation through us. We must be like Lois and Eunice. We must have an alive faith that we intentionally invest and allow others to sample in us. See, to be truly intentional, we have to first encounter God's love. Then we have to be refined and allow him to produce his life in us. And then we have to faithfully live out our faith so we can pass it on to the next generation. Can I just tell you something? That will never happen organically or by chance. That's like saying, I, I, I want to lose 
150 pounds, I think it's just going to happen. <laughs> right? It, it's not going to happen. It, it, it takes intentionality. I, I want you to read with me here from 2 Timothy chapter 3. It'll be on the screen. This is later in the same book. And I want you to notice where Paul's connecting the dots for us on Timothy. He says, but you, being Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Well, who taught him? Lois and Eunice. This legacy that's been handed down. He says, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. Paul is reminding Timothy, you have been faithfully taught. You have seen it lived out. You've been taught this from your childhood because it was intentional and it was planned. It was intentional and it was planned. As a church here at Glad Tidings, we do everything we can to pass that on intentionally and planned. We, we as a church, we do something across all of our campuses called the Gospel Project, where every single week, the kids have an absolute blast, but they're able to hear a story from the Bible where they, over the course of three years, get to know the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And each week, they're seeing how God loves them. Each week, there's this connection to how that story in the Old Testament points to who Jesus is. And they see this. It's not just a bunch of, hey, be a good little kid now. <laughs> no, it, it's teaching them the word of God. Well, each, we have family ministry resources that we give out many times throughout the year, which will equip you to go home and go, okay, how do I faithfully live this out in front of my kids we, we do prayer nights. We've got one coming up in May where it's an opportunity for you to get on your knees and maybe pray right next to your kid, maybe for the first time. And it doesn't matter if it's only a 30-second prayer. That means something to them. And, it, and it's an opportunity for you to spend that time faithfully with them. In second and sixth grade, one of the things that we do is we have a special service where we give out Bibles to the kids in our, in our church and to the youth who are moving into like the youth age because we believe that this is the word of God. We believe that it's powerful and that it changes lives. And so we give that out as a way as a church of saying, listen, this is so important. We want you to have it in your hands. We do that. We have dedicated workers right now who, as we're in here, are in there with the children. And they are having a blast with them, but they are faithfully loving them. We have small groups that are available. We do senior, whenever a kid graduates high school, we give them a book by Timothy Keller called The Reason for God. And the reason we do that is because we know that their faith is going to be attacked. And this is one of the greatest books I've ever read. It's a defense of the faith from a scholarly perspective where it shows them what they believe and how it is true and mighty and powerful. But this has to be something that moves past just the church. Our faith has to be lived out at home. There's different ways that we can live out that faith and we can show it. Um, you, you've heard me talk about this. Every single night when I go to bed, uh, I pray with my kids. And God help me if I forget. Because my daughter's in the other room going, Dad, Dad, 
don't think you're going to bed. <laughs> right? She's like, get in here now, you know, type of a thing. And I have a specialized prayer. I pray over each one of them. And it's a prayer that's based on their personality. What I see in Jason, what I see in Calvin. I'll give you an example. I don't know if I've ever told you about Calvin's prayer. Calvin's prayer goes something like this. Jesus, my wife hates me because I, uh, <laughs> I say, Jesus, I pray you do not take away his recklessness. And then my wife's like, <laughs> I say, instead, I pray that you would take that sense of boldness and risk and you would use it mightily for your kingdom. My son's that kid that when it's dinner time, he's got one foot on one chair, one foot on another chair, and he's trying to eat sideways in the air. Like, he is a constant death trap in motion, okay? That's just who Calvin is. I mean, he, he is constantly on the go. He, if it looks dangerous, he wants to do it. I pray over him, and I pray that God would take that, that God put there, and he would use it mightily for his kingdom. Jason has got an incredibly sweet heart. I always said if he ever becomes president, we've got hope for world peace, right? And so I, I pray over him that God would use his compassion, that he would use his love for other people mightily for the kingdom. I pray over that. But one of the other things that I do is this is right here the Bible that we give out to our sixth graders. None of my kids are in sixth grade yet. So every year... I take one of these Bibles, and it's for my kid when he gets in sixth grade. He won't get a brand new, or she won't get a brand new Bible. Theirs is going to be beat up. And what I do is I go through this, and I read the Bible from front to back, and I jot notes. I write prayers. I underline verses. I highlight verses that I think that, like, man, that's speaking to their character who they are. My kids know this, and so they try to steal their Bibles. Right? <laughs> they see me working on them, and, and like, I'll be like, I, I was just working on that. Where's that Bible? I look in the corner, and my daughter's like, <laughs> right? So one of the reasons I'm preaching from a Bible that looks like this, you're like, that doesn't look like a color that would typically fit Pastor Josh. You are right. This is my daughter's Bible. This is her favorite color. This is what she will get when she moves into sixth grade. And in it, right now, I've already gone through quite a few books of the Bible where I'm writing in it, I'm highlighting, I'm journaling, I'm putting things in there, little notes. Hey, babe, this is for you. I want you to know that God loves you. Because I hope this is something that when I've breathed my last and I'm gone from this earth, that it's something that she can turn back to and be reminded of not just her dad's love, but of her real dad's love. Of saying, man, there's a God who loves me. We have to be intentional. We have to be planned. I think of that. I think of different opportunities to live it out. Um, my kids are pastor's kids, so they're stuck. Um, I, I've got a little bit of a twisted personality. So on Easter Sunday, I woke my kids up by blaring worship music, right? <laughs> it was like, lights on, Alexa's playing super duper loud. And it was uh, Easter, like, worship songs. So my, my daughter just kind of rolls over like, Dad. Right? It's one of those. And I'm like, hey, it's Easter. Deal with it. Um, it's one of those, like, I, I was pumped. And so, but then what happens is they sneak into the living room, and they're, like, singing along to it. And it's, I mean, we're, not, we're getting ready for church, and my daughter's in the living room, jumping up and down, excited to go. Um, we have to live out our faith. Because failure to do so creates a lot of Max Jukes. There's someone I want you to pray with me. Um, her name is Heather. None of you know her. 
She, I knew her many, 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 many years ago. I pray for her often. She unfortunately grew up in a household where she was drugged to church, but not out of a, a family that loved Jesus recklessly, but out of religion. She's far from the faith today. She's wounded, she's hurting, she's broken. And she's almost completely closed herself off to God because she has seen the dark side. It wasn't faithfully lived out. That's why it's so important for us to encounter Jesus because Jesus' love fills our life. And if we're going to live this out, if we're going to live out our faith, it takes two different aspects. It takes joining with them and bringing those we have influence on into our victories and our defeats. Victories and defeats. I remember when COVID-19 first kicked off last year. Remember that was like, it was crazy. People were losing their minds. It reminded me of Y2K. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, right? <laughs> It was kind of like that a little bit. And I remember sitting here and like, I, I, we'd go to bed at night and I'd pray with my kids and I remember it happened like three nights in a row. There, there was like deep concern for my kids like that. Well, what happens if we get it? And I realized that fear was creeping into my household. And I was like, God, I don't want this. I, I, I want us to, there's now more than ever an opportunity to live out our faith. God, show me how. And so one of the things we did as a family is, um, you remember, you remember the, the, the COVID phase when toilet paper was like gold bars? You know what I'm talking about? Well, we had snuck and we had bought like a ton of toilet paper right beforehand and stuff, and we didn't need it. And so we're sitting here like, you know what? Let's create some care packages for our neighbors. We created these little gift baskets of toilet paper, hand sanitizer, soap, and like a little note. And we just started randomly taking it to houses. And this is what I loved. I've never seen my son smile like this and when he went up and knock on the door, right? And what every other time of your entire life would have been the awkwardest moment of your life, here's some toilet paper, right? You know, like, like someone comes to your house now and does that and you're like, excuse me, back up. You're like, that's just weird. But during that time, that's like someone walking into your house and being like, here's a $100 bill, right? I remember like we went to so many different neighbor's houses and people were blown away because everyone, because what fear does is it makes you hoard your resources and question everybody else. What love does is it gives freely. And I wanted my kids to see this is what love does. A neighbor we, I'd never met, didn't know her name, didn't know anything. She posted on Facebook. And I think it was Sarah who actually sent me a screenshot of it. And the, the neighbor said something like, I don't know the Johnsons. I don't know who they are. And I don't really even need the toilet paper. But I got what I needed today. A little kid came running into my driveway with the biggest smile on his face to hand me a care package to say that God loves me. She's like, it's been one of the worst weeks of my life, blah, 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 blah. This has happened in my family. And seeing this kid run up with love on his face completely changed everything. Listen, we have to live out our faith in the victories, but also the defeats. I'm like you. I'm prone to making mistakes. Never forget, I was driving down to Indianapolis. It was a, a youth event, so I was stressed. <laughs> I had about 
50, 60 teenagers in tow going to go watch the Indianapolis Indians play. We get rained out. It's like the most torrential downpour monsoon I've ever seen in my entire life. Like we're talking like wind and rain that's going completely sideways. We're trying to get out of the stadium to get into our cars. I'm stressed. I don't know where I'm at. I'm trying to find my way to go. I love my wife to death. She's not a good navigator. Um, so I'm driving. She's navigating. It's not her fault. I get stressed. I get ticked off, and I, I go off on my wife in front of my kids. Huge blunder moment. And it was like instantaneously, right after I finished yelling, the Holy Spirit was like, great job. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm sitting there like, ah. Oh. Because here's the thing, I could have that night later gotten home privately with my wife and like, babe, I'm sorry I messed up. But here's the thing, I didn't do that privately, did I? I did that publicly. I did that right in front of my kids who were in the back seat. Came to the next stoplight and I put the car in park. And I turned around and I looked at my kids and I said, Jason Ruby, I need you to look at daddy. Daddy just did something really stupid. Said, I just went off on mom. She didn't do anything wrong. And even if she had, that was unacceptable for what I just did. I need you to know that dad makes mistakes too. And even when he does, he has to ask for forgiveness. And that I'm sorry for what I did. And I looked at my wife and I said, babe, I'm sorry for treating you like that. Will you forgive me? And she looked at me and she said, yes. See, my kids need to know also not just what it looks like to love correctly. They need to know what it looks like to ask for forgiveness correctly. Amen. See, Timothy inherited a faith that was lived out. We need to live a faith that's lived out. We have to show and reveal love to those, whether it's our family, whether it's a niece, whether it's a nephew, whether it's a coworker whether it's one of our best friends, whether it's that person we've known for many, many years. Listen to me. The love of God is first tasted through your life and through mine. Faith can only be imparted if it's tasted, and it can't be tasted if we haven't allowed God to produce it in us. And faith can only be imparted if we live it out intentionally. Who's your who? Who's your who? Who's following you? Who are you intentionally allowing to have a voice and influence in your life? Who's your Paul? Whose opinion do you care about? Whose life are you trying to follow? But then also, who's following you? Who's watching your life? Who's engaging your life? Who's looking how you live? Are we living it out? You see... Timothy had a Paul, he had a Lois, and he had a Eunice. He had three people who faithfully imparted life into him. But they, guess what? They did that because Timothy was going to have his own Timothy. There's going to be people in his life that would look at him. Who should be tasting your life? Who needs your intentionality and in planning? See, we need to invite that. We need to model it. We need to invest in them, and we need to give them opportunity to thrive underneath our leadership. And it's because of this, I want you to catch this. Paul says to Timothy, what's next? He says, I want you to fan into flame. Any fire people in here, you know what I'm talking about? Like, 
I'm not saying you're pyro. I'm saying you like bonfires. <laughs> okay. So, okay, I can raise my hand now. <laughs> right? I love, there, there's nothing better, I don't think, in the whole world. I don't know. My wife would say holding babies. I would say looking at fire. Um, there's a calming effect to it. There's like, when I, when I look at it, there's nothing more beautiful than feeling that warmth that comes from a good bonfire. You know what I'm talking about? Paul says this, this is why I remind you to feign into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power of love and self-discipline. Paul understands his role to Timothy. He understands he's like a father. He understands Timothy is following him. He sees Timothy living this faith out. And so what advice does he give him? He says to him, Timothy fanned it into flame. This is my son's favorite aspect about a fire. He loves to fan it into flame. We'll build a bonfire and he's, uh, it's not even needed. The fire's already roaring and he's like, <gasps> and I'm like, son, you're going to like fall in there. Like you're going to hyperventilate. And he's like, I'm giving it oxygen, dad. And I'm like, you're about to, <laughs> he loves it. Okay. He, he, that and like poking it. It doesn't even need poked. And he's like, I'm going to poke it. Um, Paul says to Timothy, fan it into flame to rekindle it. To take something that was just embers, a fire that was dying out, and make it roaring again. Ooh, we need this. We need this. The advice he gives to Timothy is, Timothy, I know there's going to be a chance for your flame to start to dwindle. I see it. You see, fire needs oxygen to increase its power and to revive its dying embers. It needs oxygen and fuel. And that word in the Greek means to take the embers and to rekindle them again, to turn it into a raging inferno again. But our lives, sometimes we can get a loss of flame. You see, the goal of the enemy is to diminish your passion to diminish you being used for the kingdom and to diminish you displaying and growing God's fruit in your life. He wants you to be an unhappy Christian. Just doing the check marks. I was there Sunday. I did my thing, God. You should be happy. <laughs> How would that work in marriage? <laughs> right. Babe, I'm here, so be happy. <laughs> Not going to go so good. Just don't try it. <laughs> okay? He wants a loss of flame. Paul was aware that in seasons of life that we face, our faith and our courage and that passion for God can dwindle. And it can happen in a few different ways. Number one, it can happen through discouragement. Ever had that moment where it just feels like the air got sucked out of your life? It could be oppositions, setbacks, people who don't like us, they, they bring discouragement, the opposite of encouragement. It's where questions, they question our heart, they question our motives, they question those things about us. It's like, it's like you were running a race and then suddenly someone threw like a cord and your feet got tripped up and suddenly you're just barely making it by. It could be discouragement. Secondly, it could be from hardships. 
feels like there's an insurmountable wall in front of us. It could be a physical issue. Uh, Timothy had some physical issues that Paul even wrote to him about. He had a weak stomach. And Paul even addresses that as a concern. Maybe it's because of loss. We feel like we lost someone in our life and it's just so hard to move on. That's what Paul's predicting. Listen to me. Paul knows I'm running my race, but very soon I'm about to be killed for the faith. And I'm not going to be able to be that father physically anymore to Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, when that loss comes, fan it into flame. Don't quit running. Don't quit growing. Don't quit producing the life of Christ. Blow on the fire. Allow God to do even in that moment. But can I tell you one of the biggest ones I think that happens This is one of the greatest dangers of us in the church. The fourth reason is when we allow doing to take the place of being and the place of belonging. It's whenever we do the right things but for the wrong reasons. It's when we serve but without love. It's when we give but without love, when we worship but without love, whenever we try to invest in people without love. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus, and we're going to see this on the screen. I want you to catch this. The church of Ephesus was the church that Timothy pastored. Timothy was left as a pastor of the church of Ephesus. We don't know when this is written in regards to the same timeline, but it seems like the church developed a little bit of the same pattern that Timothy kind of had. It says this, Jesus goes, I know all the things you do. And if you got this letter from someone at the beginning, you'd be really pumped. He's like, I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who are apostles but are not. You've discovered that they're liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. At this point in time, they're patting themselves on the back. Ephesus is like, yeah. Jesus wrote that about us. But notice what it says. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Jesus is looking at the church of Ephesus, and it's the same thing Paul's saying to Timothy. Don't let your love grow cold. Keep it aflame. Some of you in this church, you might have been burnt by a Christian somewhere along the line who is living from a place of doing rather than a place of being. Check mark, check mark, do the right thing. Instead of from a place of God, I love you. Would you use my life to make an impact on others? See, Paul saw that Timothy had the proneness and the ability to switch into this gear of doing church, doing ministry, and he's challenging him to fan it into flame, to rekindle the flame. Jesus was saying to that church that Timothy pastored, repent, go back to your first love, rekindle the flame. Paul was reminding again Timothy that there was a need to rekindle that flame. Here's the thing, a fire cannot rekindle itself. A fire can't just flip a switch and go, you know what, I'm going to rekindle right now. I'm going to get bigger. (laughs) 
It needs fuel. It needs oxygen. It needs... A tree cannot grow itself. Its roots must be tapped into water and to nutrients to grow. If the roots are cut off from the nutrients, if they're cut off from the water, the tree will die. The tree cannot do it in and of itself. Fruit doesn't just mysteriously happen. It's produced as the plant taps into the life source and it grows and produces from that life. There's a point being made here. Listen to me. You can't grow yourself. Off on your own with your energy, your efforts, your best abilities, you need God's love thriving in you. That's your source of life. As you stick your roots down in it, that's what Paul was saying to the church in Ephesus. Let your roots grow down deep into his love. Because as we do that, we produce something that's worthwhile to the world. To rekindle the flame, we have to return to our first love. Prayer, worship, coming back to the community of faith. Timothy is receiving his gift. He received it in the context and the presence of the community of faith. He received his gift of the Spirit as Paul laid his hands upon him. We have to get back to the place of being and belonging and not just doing. We must live from love so we can live for love. there's a purpose behind this. Paul says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You know what Paul's saying here is as you rekindle that flame, you're going to find some things evident in your life. Power, love, self-discipline. Who in this room is great at (laughs) self-discipline? Right? You put a piece of cake in front of me and you're like, Josh, don't eat that cake. I'm like, oh, buddy. We've got a problem. That cake looks good. <laughs> Look over there, squirrel. <laughs> There's, a <laughs> There's a problem, right? No, but, but the truth is this. As we dive into the love of God, there's power that's generated from that. The word that's used there was to describe moral power, excellence of soul. It was the same word used to describe miraculous power in the New Testament. That same word. It's used to describe the same thing also, the power of an army to make war. It was a fierce and violent, strong power. Timothy's saying to him, is as you dive into the love of God, suddenly you develop power in your life because it's not coming from you or your best efforts. It's coming from God and his resources. And don't you know his resources are better than mine? Secondly, it stops you from being fear and timid. Those are both the opposite of power. They're also the natural result of our lives when we tap into our own resources. If all I can do is face a situation with what I have, I'm going to be fearful. There's no way God can do it. How's God going to plant a church in the middle of a pandemic? Guess what? You're sitting in it. It's not because of anybody in this room's power resources. It's because of what God can do. Listen, his resources are better than your own. They're stronger, they're mighty, they're powerful. The second thing it does is it gives us love. This is agape, brotherly love, benevolent love. It's affection. In John chapter 13, Jesus said that we as his disciples would be known by our agape, by our love for one another. We would be known by that. When people look at our love, they would go, oh, they've been with Jesus. 
as they look at and they see and they taste that love, they go, oh, they've been in the presence of Christ. That was the point. The love of God is meant to be seen, experienced, and given out in the community of God. One of the things we pray over this church all the time, God, let this be a house where people encounter your love, where they taste it in our lives. But then lastly, self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a development that isn't natural, but that comes from outside of us. If you've got something going on in your life right now that you're trying to be, can I just plead with you, plug into the Holy Spirit. Say, God, I, I need your help to do what I can't do. I've tried, I've failed, I've tried, I've failed. I've used all my resources, all my energy, all my effort to beat this. God, I need your strength. Would you be by my side? Would you fill me with your power? God loves those kind of prayers. That's not a weak prayer. That's a powerful prayer. That's a prayer saying, God, would you use me mightily? But then we need to let the flame spread. Devin, if you could come on up and it'll play behind me. There's someone in your life that needs your love. There's someone in your life that needs to taste the goodness of God and they will only taste it in you. It might be a son, it might be a daughter, it might be a niece, it might be a nephew, it might be a mom, it might be a dad, it might be an aunt, it might be an uncle, it might be your neighbor, it might be your best friend, it might be the neighbor down the corner that you need to take some toilet paper to. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Listen, our, our, our world is very used to seeing people hoard their resources. Our world is very used to seeing people display hate. Our world is very used to seeing people who have been burnt by other people and have closed their heart off to everything else. You know what our world is not used to seeing? The love of God. It's shocking. It leaves them wondering, going, what just happened? I loved it. When we left those houses after dropping those things, like to see the wide-eyed bewilderment of people as they're like, toilet paper, <laughs> hand sanitizer, soap. You can't get this anywhere. Every store is completely out of this. Why would they give me what you can't get anywhere else? Why wouldn't they keep this for themselves? As my son's going, God loves you. We've got to live out our faith. I, I would be lying to you if I said it's not going to cost you something. Somewhere along the line, it's going to cost you something. But can I say also, the best things in life always cost you something? They always do. But it's also better to give than it is to receive. There's something about whenever we let our flame spread and we're like, I want to... I want to live this out. I want you to taste the love of God through my life. I want you to experience who God is because of how the, there's, there's a beauty that happens there because what, in that moment, you're allowing God to use you and he's starting to produce fruit in your life. And suddenly someone's starting to sample who God is through your kindness, through your words. Listen to me. Everyone at your work is used to people making fun of them, complaining about them, trying to tear them down because they want their job, right? If they want a promotion, they're going to talk bad about the person in front of them so that they can hopefully jump in front of them because if I make you look worse, then I look better, right? That's the way the world plays. 
Our work that we go to, the places we go to everywhere, it's full of people who have bullet holes riddled through their heart of words, accusations, and pain, and hatred, and, and, and everything you can think of, everything that could possibly, you don't know what they were called at like as a kid, you don't know how their parents treated them, you don't know how they were spoken over, how insignificant they were. Some of you, as I'm speaking this right now, you're, it's bringing up bad memories of your past, and I'm sorry for that, so let me take a moment and pause, and let me tell you what your father says. Your father in heaven says he loves you greatly. Your father says, heaven says that if you will come to him, you are like a dearly loved child that he formed you in his image and that whenever he sees you, he sings songs of deliverance over you. Ooh, I love that prayer. David said, God, you sing songs of deliverance. You surround me with that. The picture David had is that in the midst of his most broken moments, God was circling him in prayer. God was sitting there singing over David saying, David, you're stuck in this moment. Listen to the words of your father. I'm going to surround you with love and prayer. Everyone you go to work with, they're used to being surrounded with hatred. What if, what if we, the people of God, rose up when we started surrounding people with songs of love? What if just one day a week you wrote a coworker an encouraging note? slipped it under their door, put it in their mailbox, dropped it in their lunch pail. Guess what? People ain't used to that. Open up their lunchbox, get ready to eat their bologna sandwich. <laughs> I just want you to know, I believe in you. I think God has great things in store for your life. And you're an awesome person. Can you imagine what God can do with just that little note? You know what that is? That's intentional, that's planned, that's faith lived out. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to bring the lights down. Worship team, if you want to come up to the stage, we're going to close in worship with this song we sang earlier, Build My Life. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed this sermon series. I'm loving these prayers of the Apostle Paul. I love his prayer that he has here for his son in the faith, Timothy. But as we bring this to a close, I don't want us just to leave here and go, oh, that was a great service. And I want us to walk out of here with intentionality, <clears throat> with planning. Number one, who's your Paul? Who's someone in your life that they have or they are revealing God's love to you? Can I plead with you? Lean a little bit closer to them. Get just a little bit closer. One of my favorite things to do is listen to my mom and my dad pray over me. Um, sickness ain't in health. Man, we learned to pray when we were sick. I remember like in between pukes, I'm like, Jesus, help me now. <laughs> right? It was faith lived out. Listen to me. Lean a little bit closer to him. But who's your Timothy? Who's the Timothy in your life? Who's someone that they look up to you, that they're invested in you, that you can go, you know what? doesn't matter if you've never invested in them before. Guess what? Today could be day one. You can start going, let me, let me show you the love of God. Let me live it out in front of you. And your victories and your defeats, both are important. Listen, if it's your kids, they already know that you've got issues. <laughs> <laughs> 
you don't have to act like, oh, well, what, this is new to them? <laughs> like, like, my kids know. Like, there's moments where mama's like, dad, do you need some Starbucks? And that's like the cue for me to go, oh, I better change my attitude. <laughs> we got to live it out in victory and in defeat. How can you be intentional? How can you plan to say, I want to I live this out in such a way? Because listen, there's nothing more important than building our life on the love of Jesus. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. For all who come to him and trust him as Lord, he rescues, he, slay, he saves us, and he changes us from the inside out. He grows in us a love that goes beyond recognition. Let me pray over you for just a second. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what? I know that I've got a Paul in my life and I need to get a little bit closer to them. I need to sample their life a little bit more. If that's you right now, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that. If you're just saying, I know there's a Paul in my life, I need to get a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? There's a Timothy in my life. Oh, as pastor, as you're speaking, the Holy Spirit just totally revealed there's this person in my life that I need to be far more intentional and planned with. I need to live out my faith so they can taste it in me. If God dropped a name on your heart this morning, would you raise your hand if you've got a Timothy in your life that he's calling you to? Awesome. God, I pray for every hand that's raised right now that Jesus, you would use them, you would speak through them, that God, you would invest in them so that they can invest in their Timothy. And if you're here today and your flame has gotten a little cold, Maybe it was discouragement. Maybe it was a hardship. Maybe it was a loss. Maybe you've just been trying to do the right thing, but you've been doing the checklist thing for so long. And today you're saying, Jesus, I just want to encounter your love and fan that flame again. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room so that we can fully build our life on your love, Jesus. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, Lord, as we've been diving into your word. Jesus, I pray that we would build firmly on your love, God. Lord, there's people we need to lean into. We need to taste their life. We need to be reminded of your goodness. God, there's also people in our life that we need to invest and intentionally speak into. Would you help us do that? God, we pray even for this week, a divine orchestrated moment where you will use our words to impart life into that person. God, would you give us creativity? Would you give us planning? Would it come off as a way that's not corny, but a way that has power and truth? And God, I also pray right now for every flame that has just started to dwindle, that, Lord, that heart that's hurting that heart that's been just trying for a long time, just trying to barely keep those embers stoked, I pray right now, Lord, that we would encounter your love. Would we realize that you, God, see us right where we're at. You're not ashamed. You haven't forgotten. You haven't made it. And in fact, you intentionally orchestrated this morning so that we could be here. Jesus, may we encounter your love. I pray that there would be a moment of freedom as we sing this song, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work at the heart level, that we would individually build our lives on your love. Because God, we love you. Would you do a work that only you can do, Jesus? In your name we pray. Church, would you 
Would you join me as we sing this song? Can I just plead, don't let it be words on the screen. Let this be a prayer from our heart. God, build my life on your love. Let's do that together.